Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner, presented by Coaches Bar and Grill. Coaches is located at 6169 North Northwest Highway in the northwest side of Chicago. Great food, great ownership, and despite the pandemic, they are open for pickup and delivery, so make sure you get to Coaches. Obviously, the Cubs right now, it's been a little bit of a difficult offseason for fans. More departures than additions, and with that, more disappointment and more eyes toward the future. Well, with that, we decided to bring on the Cubs HQ prospect expert, Dustin Reese, to the show to give us a little recap of the Cubs farm system. So, Dustin, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll get right into it with my first question. Obviously, these minor leaguers are coming off a season where there were no minor leagues. How much damage did that do to the farm system of the Cubs and in general? I think it did equally a lot of damage to every farm system, especially for the ones that were not invited to like that summer camp like the Cubs had up at South Bend. At least the players that had a chance to go to South Bend got to work out for three or four months with a lot of major league coaches and some major league players, so they were getting some work in, just not regular game work. And then you had that three- or four-week instructional league that was taking place during the fall where select prospects got to go there. But the ones that I think are going to hurt the most were like the ones that were drafted, obviously, this summer that basically did not even have an entire high school or entire college season. Then they get drafted and didn't have a regular minor league season under their belt. Their development, I think, is going to be the one that hurts the most as opposed to the ones that had the opportunity to at least play either the instructional league or had the opportunity to participate in that kind of taxi cab camp that they had going on for the three months during the season. Right. Okay. So for the Cubs, some of those players include like Ed Howard, Burl Caraway. Who who else does that include for the Cubs? Uh, well, Ed Howard, I know he was in the in um, the South Bend camp. I don't know how much action he actually saw there. If he was more there, just working out at that point, but. Guys like Burl Caraway, like when he was drafted, a lot of people felt that he was the most major league ready pitching prospect in the entire draft. And a lot of people felt had the season been a full 162 games that he was going to get called up in September at some point. Wow. I don't really, I don't really know how much his development has been affected by this, but I do know he was performing very well in South Bend when he was there. So it's going to be curious to see where the Cubs put him in the minors this year and kind of curious to see if he's going to be kind of on that same trajectory that he was on last year when a lot of people had him pegged to possibly be like one of those September call-up type pitchers. Okay, so... Uh, Jordan... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, their third-round pick, Jordan Ngagwe, was in South Bend as well. He didn't receive a lot of action. And then you had that Brandon... Or not Brandon Little, uh, Luke Little, who they drafted in the fourth round last year that can hit up to 105 with his heater. He didn't see any time in South Bend this year. So a guy like Little especially, like he has a big-time fastball. He has the best fastball in the draft class this year, and he's touched 105 on numerous occasions. The thing that's always held him back is his command, and when you're not facing live hitters for over a year, I'm really curious to see what that did to his command, especially heading into this season where the double-A, single-A, and low-level A are going to be starting basically three weeks later than the regular triple-A season. 
That would that actually brings me to my next question. What I was about to ask next is what do the minor leagues look like this year? I know they're trying to play, um, but obviously it's going to be a little bit different than before. Can you kind of sh- shed some light on how minor leagues will look this season? So minor league season will be played. It's just a matter of how it's going to look and when it's going to start. So everything that's been said right now is the AAA season, they're planning on starting the same time as normal because they want the AAA players and the major league players kind of to be at spring training the same time because those are usually the players that you count on more during the season for like injuries when you need to call players up and for September call-ups and things like that. They mostly come from the AAA roster, so they want those players to kind of be in line with a regular season just so they can stay on pace with the major league season at that point, given how they normally start 10 days later. As far as double A, single A, and uh, the lower level A ball, their season's basically going to start mid-April in terms of spring training. So they're going to go to spring training two weeks after AAA and the major league players are there. They're going to have basically a two- to three-week, possibly a month spring training, and then their season's going to start sometime between May 1st and May 16th. So essentially, they're going to be losing roughly probably 25 to 30 games off of a full season, but AAA is online to play their full 140, 142-game sets. Gotcha. I mean, I'm sure those double-A and single-A players are happy they're at least playing ball. Um especially after a year where they didn't get to. So that'll be interesting to see mid-May or early to mid-May is where we're looking at for those leagues to start. And obviously a big thing that kind of doesn't get talked about a lot, in my opinion, is the fact that the draft got shortened last season from 40 rounds to five. So when I asked you who the Cubs drafted, you gave me four or five names a year before, a year, two years before that list would be 35 to 40 names. So do you know if the draft is going to be going back to the, the bigger set, giving more players more opportunities to turn pro, or does the league want to keep it small? It will never be the 40 rounds again, but it's also never going to be the five rounds again. I believe they want to try to keep it somewhere in the 20 to 25 round range. I mean, 20, 25 rounds, it's still obviously more than any other sport out there, but when you started getting to that 40 rounds, obviously you can find talent in like that 37, 38th round area like Carl Edwards Jr. and some of those players that were taken so late. But baseball is one of those sports where you can be drafted super early, but it might take you five years to get to the major leagues because you have the minor league system to work your way through versus NBA or NFL, you get drafted in the first round. You're being counted on to contribute right away. So adding more rounds to the draft, I think, is a good idea, especially because a lot of players may not get the recognition that some of these other players get because they come from smaller colleges, they come from straight out of high school where they just might need a couple of years of seasoning to get ready, and then they're ready to go. But I think 40 rounds was way too much. I think that just started getting a little old, especially now when you consider that the major leagues have eliminated about 40 to 60 minor league franchises, you're not going to need as many players as you once did. So I'm looking at kind of that 20 to 25 round range, I think is going to be the cap of the draft from here on out. Gotcha. I mean, it's certainly unfortunate, at least in my opinion, that a lot of players' careers are going to end because the league doesn't want to 
basically pay for minor leaguers. Um, you said 40 to 60 franchises and then over 35 rounds of the draft canceled last year. So 35 times 30, that's another near 1,000 players um, not getting a chance to turn pro. Hopefully we see that change a little bit. But let's get into the Cubs prospects. We haven't really talked about them too much yet. So just give us a brief rundown. Who are the Cubs' top 5 to 10 prospects, and what positions do they play? Well, obviously the top prospect in the system is Braylon Marquez, who fans got a chance to see firsthand the final game of the season last year when he came out of the bullpen. Uh, he's a 21-year-old left-handed starter who's 6'4", 195 pounds. Average fastball sits generally in the 97 to 99 range, and he topped out at 102 miles an hour in the Midwest All-Star Game in 2019. So Marquez is probably the best pitching prospect the Cubs have had, in my opinion, since Mark Breyer. Wow. Uh, there's a lot to like about him, especially considering he's a young, controllable left-hander. He throws triple digits, which is something that the Cubs rotation lacks. I believe they rank 29th out of 30 major league teams in average fastball velocity for their starting rotation. So adding a guy like him is certainly going to help. But at the same time, when you watch him pitch, and I don't know how much you've seen him pitch outside of the inning last year, but he reminds me a lot of a role as Chapman in the way he does things. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cubs take him from the starting rotation and put him kind of in that back of the bullpen type role. As I've said for the last couple of years, I view Mark as more as a Josh Hader than a starter. Gotcha. Yeah, that was going to be what I asked um, at some point in this podcast. I was going to say, do you see him projecting long-term as a starter or a reliever, and you kind of gave us that answer. And so some of these other names that we always hear, Brennan Davis, Miguel Amaya, um, you know, Zach Short, Chase Strumpf, um, where are those guys ranking? So Zach Short is actually no longer with the organization. He was traded to Detroit last year when they acquired Cameron Maven. Right, okay. You got Brennan Davis, who is the top position player in the system. He is the number two prospect. Uh, Miguel Amaya is number three. Ed Howard's number four. Cole Roderer, who is another uh, very good defensive outfielder in the system, is ranked five. Adbert Alzolai is currently ranked six, but as soon as he makes his first appearance next year, he's no longer considered a prospect, but he'll be off of this list. But then you have right-handed starters Cole Franklin and Ryan Jensen sitting at seven and eight. Chase Strunk, who is viewed as a top ten overall second baseman in all of base and all of the baseball prospect rankings is number nine. And then you have Reginald Preciado, who was acquired in the U Darvish trade, who now slides into the top ten and then number ten. Gotcha. That was, uh, that's another thing I wanted to get into. That U Darvish trade seemed to piss off a lot of fans. A lot of people don't think the Cubs got enough for U Darvish. It seemed like they took a lot of flyers on some young prospects, hoping that they turn out. But for the meantime, they're just totally okay with clearing money. Obviously, I could tell you all you want to know about Zach Davies, but these four prospects are why the deal was made. Uh, what can you give us on, on those youngsters, um, maybe their timelines, and, and if maybe you could give some optimism to Cubs fans who didn't originally like the deal? Well, to answer the second part of your question, I don't think I can give them too much optimism at this point because I was very upset with the trade. I think they could have gotten a lot more for Darvish, like you mentioned. But the thing that irritates me the most about that trade is what they got in return. Obviously, they wanted prospects, which they got. 
the three of the four prospects they got in return are shortstops. The other one is an outfielder. Well, your number four prospect in your system is a shortstop, and then you had another two or three shortstops already ranked in the top 30 in your system. So now basically you have six prospects in your top 30 that are shortstops, and not all of them can play shortstop. So that leads me to believe that either some are going to change positions or some are going to get traded later on down the road, which then leads you to the question, well, why was the trade made if you're going to just trade away some of these guys later on anyways? As far as the timeline goes, guys like Reginald Preciado, who's 17, and then Ismail Mena, who's 18, and and I believe Owen Casey, who's 18, those guys are going to be probably four or five years away from maybe even contributing at the major league level at this point. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those trades where I kind of look at it where San Diego clearly won the trade now because they're getting Darvish, who's an already established pitcher who was a Cy Young contender last year. And he's really going to help perhaps what is the best National League rotation now versus the Cubs could win this trade five years down the road depending on how these players pan out. The one that is probably going to be arriving to the Cubs the soonest is Yeston Santana, who is 20 years old, but he's kind of been up through the system already. He's projected to be in double-A in the Cubs system this year, so I would say he's probably two years away versus the other three players you're looking at being four or five years away. Gotcha. Interesting. And so you look at that shortstop log jam, for me, who thinks at a, at a major league level, I immediately go to the fact that I think stocking up on these shortstops likely means that they don't think they'll be able to lock up Javier Baez long term. Obviously, I don't know if that's the case, but if they can't, um, how would they fill that hole? Do you think it'd likely be Horner to short, Howard to second, or Howard to short, Horner to second, or one of those other guys um, that you mentioned of the top 30? Well, you look at the way the Cubs' farm system is right now. A lot of these shortstops are four or five years away, like I just mentioned. So essentially, they could still lock Javier Baez up long-term. They could lock him up for the next four or five years, and then when these shortstops start getting closer to the big league level, you can figure out what you want to do with Baez. Do you want to trade him? Do you want to move him to second? Do you want to move him to third? Because he's the only player on the Cubs that, in my opinion, he can play gold blood gold glove defense at any infield position that you put. Mm-hmm. So I think essentially the easiest one to move around on the major league roster. Uh, I don't see Nico playing shortstop unless Dias gets injured. I think Nico Horner's more ticketed to the second base role over anything or possibly even center field given his versatility and kind of athleticism. In terms of future shortstops, I know everyone's talking about Ed Howard and how Ed Howard is basically the high school version of Javi Baez at this point, especially defensively. But if you kind of look at his body build and if you kind of look at the way he projects as a player, he's going to be one of those players that I think could potentially shift to the outfield, which means international signing Christian Hernandez, who the Cubs signed two weeks ago, I think is the shortstop of the future. The kid is completely legitimate at this point. He's been compared to Alex Rodriguez, Manny Machado. He's been compared to Javier Baez, and at 17 years old, he's already 6'2 and 185 pounds. Okay, so that's definitely a guy to keep our eyes on. That was the the Cubs' biggest international signing over the last week, probably their biggest addition of the offseason to this point. Um, 
you know, we talked a lot about subtraction. Victor Caratini went with Darvish to the Padres in that deal, and there's been a lot of speculation about Contreras involved in another trade from this team. So, you know, the Cubs have been marketed to have a deep catching pool um, led by Miguel Amaya there in the minor leagues. How close is he to becoming an everyday starter in the majors? If you'd have asked me this question when the baseball season was going on last year, I would have said he was probably two, two and a half years away from making the major league roster just because he's gotten better defensively as a catcher, but his offensive game is still a work in progress. He showed signs last year with Myrtle Beach of kind of becoming a better hitter, but he's still only a 250 career hitter, so he's kind of still trying to figure things off offensively. But then you look at how he performed in the Winter League in Venezuela this year, and I would say he could theoretically be in AAA to start the year this year with a shot at contributing at some point towards the end of the year. If Wilson Contreras does get traded, Amaya most likely comes on the Major League roster this year. And if that's the case, look for Romine to be the starting catcher this year, but look for Amaya to take over as the full-time starting catcher in 2022 at that point. Gotcha. So we'll definitely keep an eye on Amaya's progress. Like you said, I noticed, too, he had been tearing up the Venezuelan League. Um, I want to go back to the question I just asked about um, who might fill Baez's hole. There's also a guy that plays next to him, Chris Bryant, that has been rumored in a lot of deals. And obviously we've got David Bodie that could play third on the big league roster at the moment. But are any of those shortstops or middle infielders like Schrumpf potentially fit the mold of a third baseman, slide over to third long term, or even Horner maybe? Well, they do have a third base prospect by the name of Christopher Morell, who was a top 10 prospect until the Cubs made that trade with San Diego, and now he's fallen down to 13th in the Cubs system. Uh, a lot of scouts and kind of experts expected him to arrive in 2022, but given that he lost the season last year, it'll probably be 2023 at this point. But Morell is a very interesting and intriguing prospect. He's been brought up in trade conversations with the Kansas City Royals when the Cubs were trying to acquire Whit Merrifield. Uh, Morell's name was brought up in that deal a whole bunch, and the Cubs didn't want to part with him. He's only 150 pounds at the moment, so his frame's got to fill out a lot more yet for him to kind of reach his full potential. But he's got unbelievable bat speed. I'm talking like Gary Sheffield-type bat speed, where it's very hard to throw anything by him. And when he got when he finally got a chance to play every day with South Bend in 2019, he put together a pretty impressive season in 73 games where he hit a 284 in his first basically full season, and his power numbers started to improve. His on-base percentage was a career high, and at 20 years old, everything started to come together when he finally got a chance to get on the field as an everyday player. Okay, so maybe that's the long-term solution at third base. Um, back to Horner. I've talked about him a little bit. You've talked about him a little bit thus far. Um, he had an accelerated way to the big leagues. Never played, I think, a pitch above double-A ball, which is very rare. He was the first draft pick from 2018 that reached the major leagues. Then last season, there was all the speculation that he wouldn't be on the major league team. Then there was a 60-game season, so he was, got to play that full season at the major league level. Do you think this year he starts the season in the minors and finally gets to finish his development at AAA, or do you think he's ready enough 
for the major leagues, especially, you know, they don't really have another second baseman on the roster. I know they've been rumored interest in Tommy LaStella. He's been signed. They haven't reunited with Jason Kipnis yet. And Colton Wong seems to have a pretty big market, but the Cubs are involved on that as well. Do I think he's ready to be on the big league roster? Yes, but I do not think he's ready to be an everyday player at this point because he's only had 92 games of minor league experience plus another 45, 50 games of big league experience. So he hasn't even played 150 games at the professional league level yet. Ideally, what I think I would like to see, and that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen, I would like to see Horner sent to AAA to start the season and get basically a month, a month and a half of everyday reps at AAA time to get into rhythm, and the Cubs can plug in David Bodie to play second base for probably the first 45, 50 games. But come June, come July, I think Nico Horner will be ready at that point to take over the everyday second base job. Just the struggles that he had last year, it's not that he's a bad hitter and it's not that he's a bad player. It's just those are the struggles that you expected him to have knowing that he had such an accelerated path to the majors. He just needs a little bit more time to develop so he can kind of hit himself over the struggles. Because once he got in those struggles last year, you started to notice more playing time for Jason Kipnis at second base. So Horner never had the opportunity to try to hit himself out of those struggles. Yeah, absolutely. So... Horner and Alzelay are two guys that I still consider prospects because we've really hardly seen them at the big league level. But um, they're probably not going to come up on prospect lists. Like you mentioned, as soon as Alzelay throws a pitch this season, he won't be on the list. I doubt Horner's on any list because he really has been a major leaguer more than a minor leaguer, which is crazy to think. But um, aside from those two guys, you said um, one, you listed 1 through 10 and then mentioned number 13 as well. Where does this Cubs farm system rank? I know for the longest time, you know, they were acquiring Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Addison Russell. They were near the tops in the league. Then once all those guys came up, they went down towards the bottom of the league. Now they're kind of building their way back up. Where do they stand right now? I believe last time I checked, they're in the 18 to 20 range, which it's not great, but it's much better than where they were a couple of years ago. But if you're going to ask me my opinion, and I've obviously followed the minor leaguers a lot more than the major leaguers the last couple of years just because I kind of like how minor league baseball is played now where players just play it for the love of the game and they don't play it trying to make a big contract. I would say the Cubs have a top 15 farm system right now. And if things go according to plan, I know Jed Hoyer said this is a – big step in terms of the future of this team where a lot of these prospects are expected to make big strides this year towards their development. If that holds true, this farm system is going to be a top 10, top 12 farm system again next year, especially when you look at not necessarily the position players, but when you look at the pitching that they have top to bottom in this system, they could be setting themselves up for the next five years to just start plugging in pitcher after pitcher after pitcher much like they were doing when they had Bryant and Schwarber, where every month it seemed like a different hitter was coming up and having success. It's going to be the exact opposite way, I think, where every month you're going to have a different pitcher coming through and they're going to start showing success. That would be awesome to see, especially since one of the biggest knocks on Theo Epstein is not being able to develop a homegrown pitcher. It seems like they've got a few in the works right now. And the last question I have for you, Dustin, is who are some prospect candidates 
for us to see make an impact on the major league roster in 2021? Well, obviously, you immediately have to look at that number five spot in the rotation, which the Cubs still have to fill. I know a lot of people have expected Marquez kind of to get a shot at that. He's not ready, in my opinion, to contribute at all as a major league starter. And if he does make this roster, I think it's going to be more as a bullpen role just because he doesn't have the experience just to be an everyday starter. But in terms of pitching prospects who... I think could get at least contribute to that number five spot in the rotation. You got to look at Corey Abbott, who's number 14 in the Cubs system right now. He spent the entire summer in South Bend last year. He was the organization's 2019 pitcher of the year as he became the first pitcher in the Cubs organization since 2009 to strike out more than 165 batters in the season. You have guys like Tyson Miller, who made his major league debut. He's fallen down to number 26 on the list, but he's still a, kind of a valuable option to be a guy in line for that number five role. Uh, Justin Steele, a left-hander, he's 25th in the system right now. He was actually on the major league roster a couple times last year. He didn't throw a pitch, but he's finally healthy after dealing with multiple elbow and shoulder injuries the last few years, so he's kind of one of those guys that can contribute. As mentioned earlier, Caraway, I think, is a guy that's going to make significant strides this year, and he could be a potential back-of-the-bullpen type arm midway through the season. But the one guy that not many people talk about anymore is Michael McAveen, who the Cubs drafted in the third round in the 2019 baseball draft out of Louisville. He was a former starter that had Tommy John surgery and was converted closer before getting selected by the Cubs. Depending on what happens with Marquez and what the Cubs' plans are for him, I view McAveen as the closer of the future for this team. And if he continues the development that I saw in him in 2019, he's certainly a guy that I think can come in this year no later than September and be the guy that the Cubs expected Kimbrell to be. All right, so some high uh, expectations for him. A lot of guys for us to keep our eyes on. But that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Corner. Dustin, thank you so much for joining us. Really great insight. Thanks for having me again. As always, this episode is brought to you by Coaches Bar and Grill and available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.